Welcome to Resurrection Celebration for us. We're excited because today the biggest disruption that ever existed and the most powerful disruption that we've ever encountered was the cross and resurrection of Jesus. Amen? Amen. How many of you like to have your lives disrupted? (laughs) Well, I hope that you'll change your tune by the end of today. You see, without Jesus, the blind would not see. He disrupted their lack of sight. Without Jesus, the deaf couldn't hear. He disrupted that old way of life for them. Without Jesus, the lame couldn't walk. He disrupted that old way of life for them. And without Jesus, a boy who was abused and abandoned and set on a trajectory towards destruction would have had no hope at life, let alone become a teaching pastor. Amen? Amen. So this morning, this is a very intense message for me, and it's very, uh, Im- very personal, very powerful for me, and I want to come to you um, talking to you today about a lot of goats and uh, a lot of important things around those goats, because Jesus, Jesus came today even disrupting an old way of life and an old religious system, and He didn't come to abolish it, but rather to fulfill it. Everything that was promised in the Law and Prophets. And so, uh, this morning, how many of you are okay with getting a little bit disrupted? Okay. We'll get there. (laughs) This morning, um, as I was thinking on this passage and the Lord led me here, it took me back to yet an Easter a few years ago, several years ago with a friend of mine who was in fact Jewish, and, and I'd been asking, I'd been begging him for quite some time to come to church with me, and we built a relationship over time that earned that right because he showed up one day at, at church to come with me, and he, uh, he showed up on Easter Sunday, which, you know, is blatantly Jesus, right? And so for a Jewish person who grew up in the history of Judaism, uh, he showed up on the most blatant uh, Sunday in the name of Jesus, and I was really worried as I sat next to him the entire time. He made it through, and he was okay, and I asked him about it after the fact, and he said, yeah, that was, that was okay, and he got to meet some of my friends, and they all liked him, and so that was cool, and I asked him, would you come back? He's like, I don't know, and I said, okay, that's, that's fair. Here's what I want to tell you, uh, Andy. Uh, a couple of days after that Easter celebration, we sat, and we're talking over the yard a little bit, and I said, hey... I want to know if, uh, if you would come hang out with me and some of my friends. Some of my friends are getting together. We're going to go hang out, and, uh, and we're going to go into the woods, and we're going to do some, some manly stuff, some guy stuff. And, and so, so, like, if you want to, my friends liked you, I'd like for you to come. Now, a few weeks ago in our series, This Is Us, as we've been walking through the last three weeks, we, we said that God requires all of us. He wants all our love. He wants us to love our neighbor with all. He wants us to lead with all our passion, others to love Jesus. So that's what I was trying to do here. And I said a couple of weeks ago that sometimes that means things got to get a little weird, right? Holy in the English is best defined as the word weird. So sometimes that disruption looks a little weird. Well, Andy actually said that to me. He looked at me and he said, uh, wait a second, so you're a bunch of dudes going out into the woods for like a couple days? I was like, yeah, he goes, that sounds really weird. And he goes, you didn't sell that very well. What are you going to do, like sacrifice goats and stuff? And I said, no, man, we're just going to hang out and do some manly stuff. But because he said that, and I'm a little sarcastic and a bit of a cynic, 
I went and found my only friend who I knew raised goats and cattle. And I said, you've got to come on this with me. I need you to bring a goat. And so I got all my friends in on this, and Andy has committed to come. And so on our very first night, we had our bonfire. and we went through worship, and we had a little dinner, and we're all wrestled around the bonfire now. And I'm just hanging out. And here comes Andy. Stands next to me, and I said, hey, man, how, how's it going? He's like, oh, it's pretty good so far, so good. So what are we doing now? I was like, oh, man, we're just hanging out. Just hanging. Every guy around that fire is waiting for my cue. Every one of them is waiting. And before, before I can even like turn to answer the next question, I hear, blah. <laughs> and that goat begins to bleat. Andy goes, what was that? And I said, oh, nothing. Don't worry about it, man. It's cool. <laughs> my boy walks that goat in on a rope, man. Brings him straight into the fire. And I said, all right, let's get weird. And so all the dudes start taking their clothes off. I got guys around the fire doing this. And Andy's going, what? And of course, we let him in on our secret. And I looked at him, I said, hey, man, here's the thing. You brought up the whole sacrifice of goats thing. You're Jewish. Don't you know that's what you guys do? And he was like, no, I've never heard that. And that led me to Hebrews 9 and the opportunity to share what I hope to share with you today. Let me pray. Father, as we come into your word, I just ask that you alone would have your way with us, that we would allow you to disrupt us by the power of your spirit and by the power of your word. We would allow you to come in and do what only you can do. God, many of us have no hope apart from you. Our lives are on a trajectory towards destruction, and God, you will love us enough to allow us to destroy ourselves, but God, you will also love us enough to confront us right here this morning in this place and disrupt that trajectory and set us on a new course, one with new life. I pray today that you would allow us to discover all that Jesus did for us as he became the disruption in the cross and the resurrection of this world's ways. In Jesus' name, amen. So in Hebrews 9, I'm just going to read, it says, Now the first covenant also had regulations for ministry in an earthly sanctuary. Uh, That is starting because the Hebrews author is writing this chapter, this letter right here, to a bunch of Jews who have converted unto Christianity. They've trusted Jesus for salvation. But they're running the risk of going back to their old ways. They're running the risk of going back to trusting the law over Jesus' work on the cross. And so they're beginning to practice and they run this risk. How many of you ever run the risk of going back to your old ways? This means yes, and this is your hand. (laughs) So Jesus comes and presents a better way. Hebrews 9 is an explanation of what they practiced. It's the uh, the coming together of Leviticus 16 and the law and what Jesus accomplished in the cross. One thing that they understood and knew that there was a blood tone that was required for atonement. Blood was always required. And so now the first covenant also had regulations for ministry on earth and sanctuary. One of those regulations was blood was necessary. For a tabernacle was set up in the first room, which is called the holy place, where the lampstand was, and the table and presentation of the loaves, and behind it a second curtain. 
was a tent called the Most Holy Place, or the Holy of Holies. It had the gold altar of incense, the Ark of the Covenant, which embodied the presence of God, covered with the gold on all sides, on which the gold jar containing manna, Aaron's staff that budded, and the tablets of the covenant itself. The cherubim of glory were above the Ark, overshadowing the mercy seat. It is not possible to speak about these things without detail right now. So with these things prepared like this, the priests entered the first room repeatedly, performing their ministry. But the high priest alone enters the second room, and he does the, this only once a year and never without blood, which he offers for himself and for the sins of the people that were committed in ignorance. Here's what's happening. If you go back, and I encourage you to go to Leviticus 16, and you're going to read you're going to read of Moses receiving this download from the Lord and its prescription to Aaron. Aaron, the high priest, was asked once a year to take a ceremonial bath and put on the ceremonial linens and to go in on the Day of Atonement or Yom Kippur to intercede between God and man for the people of Israel and to atone for their sins once a year and for a year's covering. So Aaron... Before he can do that, must atone for himself. So he takes a ceremonial bath, he puts on the ceremonial linens, and it says that he is ex- instructed to take a bull and a ram for himself. The bull for himself, the ram for his family. And he goes into the Holy Holies as the high priest. And there before God, he slays that bull. And it says that he sprinkles seven times, painting the mercy seat with the blood of that bull, seven times for the number of purification, to atone for his own sin. And then he takes the ram and prepares it, doing the same for his family. Then takes two handfuls of of incense and he throws that over the live coals, which creates a smoky cloud in the room. And it says that God was there overseeing it all and he inhabited the cloud. The carcasses are put on the live coals then and they're presented as a burnt offering. The high priest now and only now is able to come and intercede for the people. And the intercession of the high priest for the people requires two goats who were raised by what is called a suitable man. This man's job was to raise goats for this sole purpose. For the day of atonement, they are going to, he's going to take two, one to be the blood offering and one to be the scapegoat, the one on which all sin will be transferred into the flesh. And these two have been prepared and they're waiting outside by the suitable man who has raised them. And they're waiting for Aaron to come to make atonement for the people. Here's the first point today. Aaron had to prepare himself to go in to atone for the people. Jesus was perfect. He did not need to prepare himself, but he he didn't have to cleanse himself. Become blameless, but he did need to prepare himself. And I want to remind you of that faithful picture of Jesus sweating in agony, drops of blood in the garden as he prayed unto the Lord, unto the Father. Not my will, but your will be done. If there be any way for this cup pass from me, let it pass, but not my will, yours be done. As, as an angel appears to strengthen him and minister to him, as hermitidosis happens in his body where the the blood vessels around sweat glands literally burst open at the highest levels of anxiety and mix with the sweat and come forth from the body. The highest level anxiety, the worst case of worry on the planet 
causes this to happen. And it's not simply just because, because that was uncomfortable, the, what his body would endure for the people in the cross. But it was even further than that. This was Jesus, 100% man and 100% God, who has never been separate from the Father in his existence, in his entirety. But in a moment, he's going to have all of the sin of the world transferred upon him and the Father will need to forsake him. He'll be separate for the first time in all time. He'll be separate even for a moment, three days. He'll be separate from the Father. And it drove him to the highest levels of anxiety. Jesus is our high priest. At the cross and the resurrection, Jesus plays the role of the intercessor that Aaron was called to in the law. And the the temporary system that God set up that is talked about here in Hebrews 9 and is practiced in Leviticus 16 was just that. It was temporary. It was only a way to precurse what Jesus would perform as the high priest. And once he's atoned for that sin, he steps outside. Around his ankle, there's a rope. And that rope is tied because no one was allowed, not even another priest, was allowed to enter the Holy of Holies to to stand before the presence of God. So here's what would happen. If Aaron had walked in with any sin in his life, if he was not completely blameless and followed the letter to the law, he'd be struck there dead in the presence of God. And no one was going in after him, so he would literally be pulled out. And the people could no longer be atoned for. Let's imagine that Aaron has passed the test and he's now stepping outside to cast lots for the goats. And he's going to atone for the people. He throws lots on the ground like a game of dice and the winner is our blood offering. He takes that goat and he walks it in. And he walks into the Holy of Holies and just like he did for himself, he slays that goat there In the presence of the Ark of the Covenant on the altar, he spills that blood and paints that mercy seat by the finger seven times, atoning for the sin of the people and purifying the entire process under the oversight of God himself. Jesus was not only our high priest in the cross and the resurrection, Jesus became our blood offering. If you remember Jesus spilt his blood to atone for our sin. And it says that even after he had breathed his last and given up his soul to the Father, he stood there hanging and they came to break his legs just to complete the process, but they could already tell he was dead. So the master executioner shoves a spear in his side, puncturing both lungs and the heart. And it says that all blood, all the life source came flowing out along with any hope of oxygen because all the water came out as well. He was our blood offering. Not only did he serve as high priest, he served as the one and the only one who had no tainted blood on the planet that could atone for our sin, the sin of the world, your sin, my sin, all those past and all those yet to come. And then Aaron steps outside to grab that second goat. And that second goat has a special name. It's the Azalel. The scapegoat. And how many of you know what a scapegoat is? It is the object on which or the person of which we transfer all blame. We put all transgression and all wrong upon the scapegoat. And he walks that scapegoat into the Holy of Holies and 
Around its neck is a long rope, and on the other end of that long rope is the suitable man who is standing outside of the Holy of Holies waiting. And while he waits, all of Israel has gathered now, and they've formed a pathway from the outer courts all the way out into the wilderness. And they are lining the streets, waiting for Aaron to commence. The scapegoat walks into the Holy of Holies, is tied off there at the altar, and it says that the high priest, with a deep intensity and violence, places both hands upon the head of the goat and transfers the sin of all the nation upon the head of this goat. This is an intense prayer. This is a deliberate prayer under the sight of God, one that involves violence. As he strikes this goat behind the veil, you have to have the, the close picture and proximity of what it looked like when Pilate walked Jesus behind the veil of the praetorium and they took a crown of thorns and they placed it upon his head. And they stripped him of his clothes and put a fake royal robe around him and, and they mocked him with a scepter as they hit him. They covered his eyes so he could not see blindfolding him saying, who struck you? Prophesy about who struck you. Tell us. And they mocked him, they flogged him, they had his flesh torn behind that veil, much like, much like Aaron behind the veil interceding for the people is violently transferring sin. With every single blow, the sin of the world is being transferred onto Jesus. With every single blow, the transfer of a nation for one year transferred onto this goat. And I want to say this point, and I think it's important to note. Have you ever thought, because we talk a lot about the willingness Jesus had to walk to the cross, but let me say this point to you. There wasn't a molecule of blood that left his body that he did not give permission to. Not only was he willing, he was allowing this entire process. There wasn't a person that struck him. I was talking with my friend about this just a couple weeks ago, and he reminded me of the importance of this. There wasn't a blow. There wasn't a sneer. There wasn't a flog. There wasn't a strike that Jesus did not let happen. So when they mock him and they say, prophesy, tell us who struck you. Not only does he know their name, he knows which hand he hit, they hit him with. He's very aware of the entire process and he is allowing it to happen. Jesus becomes our scapegoat. Because when he emerges from behind the praetorium's curtain and Pilate stands him up bloodied and bruised to the people, he's not greeted by those who were given sight but were before blind. He's not greeted with the cheers of the deaf who could not speak or hear before him. He's not greeted by those standing who otherwise couldn't before they met him. He says, I find no fault in him. Let this blood be on your hands. Take him to Herod. They say, crucify him. Crucify him. Take his life. And when the beating and the intense prayer behind the Holy of Holies has commenced, the suitable man on the other end of the rope will feel a tug. And at that tug, he will start to pull, and the scapegoat will emerge from behind the Holy of Holies and reveal himself to the people. And to them, now all their sin has been transferred onto this object. 
And they have lined the streets not to celebrate and not to give shouts of acclamation for the one that wears their sin. They are desperate because there's an open-ended invitation to the wilderness. And they want this thing to leave and never return and take their sin with it. So guess what they do? They sneer. They hiss. They punch. They bite. They kick. They transfer even further the sin of their transgression upon this goat so that it will run out of the city as fast as it possibly can, get deep into the wilderness by that suitable man who has also gone through ceremonial bath, ceremonial clothing. And if need be, out in the wilderness, if that goat thought to return, he would strike it and beat it there as well just to ensure that it would never return and the people sin with it. Be sent forever. As my sin was cast as far as the east is from the west. This was the desire of these people. And so what the law required was someone, a body, an object, a scapegoat on which all blame could be transferred. A body that could be broken and bloodied and beaten. The law required blood to also atone for the entire process, to cover the sin of the transgressions for a year. But Jesus is the better scapegoat. Because there wasn't a person or an object here on this, on this planet, in this broken world, that didn't have tainted blood that could cover for all of us. So God had to come himself. And he came for the sole purpose, just like these goats were raised for this sole purpose. He came for the sole purpose of having all of this, his body broken for each of us and all of our sin transferred upon it and his blood shed to atone for all our sin. What a goat could only cover for a year, Jesus could cover for all eternity. And here is why. After the Sabbath, the first day of the week was dawning. And Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to view the tomb where they had laid his body. There was a violent earthquake because the angel of the Lord descended from heaven and approached the tomb. He rolled back the stone and was sitting upon it. His appearance was like lightning and his clothing was white as snow. The guards were shaken by fear for him that they became like dead men. The angel told the woman, don't be afraid because I know you were looking for Jesus whom was crucified, but he's not here. He is risen and he, he has come and I want you to come and see the place where he was laid. Then go quickly and tell the disciples that he is risen from the dead and indeed is going ahead of you unto Galilee so you will see him there. Listen, I have told you. So departing quickly from the tomb with fear and great joy, she ran to tell his disciples the great news. And just then Jesus met them saying, Greetings. They came up, took hold of his feet, worshipped him. Then Jesus told them, Do not be afraid. Go tell my brothers to leave for Galilee and they'll see me there. As they were on their way, some of the guards came into the city and reported to the chief priests everything that had happened. And the priests had assembled with the elders and agreed on a plan that they gave the soldiers a large sum of money and told them, say this, his disciples came during the night, stole him while they were sleeping. If this reaches the governor's ears, we will deal with him and, 
and keep, out, keep you out of trouble. But they took the money and did so as they were instructed. And the story had been spread among the Jewish people to this day. But meanwhile, Jesus had appeared amongst his eleven. Revealed himself even though they doubted. And when they could no longer doubt, he said, Now, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe as I have taught you. It is finished. All of it. Jesus called for us to love with all and to love our neighbor with all and to lead others to do that with our all because Jesus alone was the only person who could pay for it all. He didn't stay in the grave. He didn't run off into the wilderness. He took with you and with me in mind all our sin as he entered as our high priest interceding between the Father and us. As he had his body beaten willingly, allowing his blood to atone for our sin. With every aspect of that which was living, leaving his body, leaving him no strength, he supernaturally raises from the dead on the first day of the week, this day that we celebrate, defeating the grave and the sting of sin with it. And today we celebrate and gather around this room because that tomb is empty. Today, the greatest interruption that has ever existed, the greatest disruption that has ever happened was the cross and the resurrection because it disrupted our charted course for destruction and judgment and justice because we are a sinful people who live for ourselves. And when you worship yourself, there is nothing but misery for you. Trust me, I'm chief. So this morning, I got to ask you, how many of you have been sensing the stirring of the Lord amongst our body? Whether you're here for the first time or you've been noticing that for weeks. That stirring is intentional. God is calling us unto himself. God is wanting to have his way with his people, but the enemy hates that. So he's also throwing distractions in the midst. He's throwing distractions. He's trying to keep us off course. He's trying to keep us focused on the things that are so menial and temporary about our lives. And, and that has a tendency to drive us back to our old way. Today, the Hebrews author would say, do not return to your old way. Do not go back as a dog returns to his vomit. So a fool returns to his old life expecting something new. So a fool returns. Don't go back to your old way. This morning, be brave enough to recognize that the disruption that is happening right here in the midst of this room right now is because God desired to defeat death and the sting of sin in your life this morning. You've been brought here so God could disrupt your life and your way of living. God came here and led you to this place so that he could do all that we just read about to free you from a life of death and destruction. And you know what will keep everyone here from, from accepting that? Is we'll listen more to the distraction of the enemy than we will the disruption of our God. And we'll allow pride to get in the way. 
I have sensed God moving and I watch people every week in services clinch the seat in front of them. I sense God stirring and moving, calling them, and they fight it with everything they have. They fight the very love and move of God in their midst. Today, let's stop fighting. Let's accept the fact that on the cross, He fought for us. And all we do is willingly accept it. We couldn't earn it, and we did not deserve it. But he gave it away willingly, deliberately, so that you and I could live. Today, if you're here and you say, that's me, that's what I need. I need my life interrupted because I am on a trajectory towards destruction. The only place you need to find yourself this morning before you leave this room is the foot of this cross. This is the only place that you have hope. This is the only play your que- the place your questions get finally answered. Because it in Jesus alone, your high priest, your blood offering, your scapegoat, all the blame was transferred to him. This is the only place that you get freed of what you have earned as one living opposed to God in sin. I love that line that we just sang. When I was your foe, you still fought for me. Today, are you willing to have your life a little disrupted? The people of Israel wanted to be free of sin. Do you? Today, maybe you're here and you say, I've been free of sin for quite some time. I know that I'm in Christ, but I Justin, I have been more distracted than I have been allowing the Lord to disrupt my life and to have his way with me and send me wherever he might send me and lead me to do whatever he wills. I've been a little distracted with my own desires over what he desires. And today, the only place, church, that you find yourself, if this is you, like it has been me time and time again, week after week, day after day, minute after minute, the only place that you find yourself is at the foot of this very cross where all disruption freed you. Where Jesus' life and his fight for you freed you. And maybe today you need to be reminded of that and fall in love with him all over again. And at the foot of this cross, you need to come to the table, look at that body that was willingly broken and allowed to be broken by him for you. All your sin and blame transferred onto that body, that cracker that symbolizes it. And you do this in remembrance of him. And you look at the blood the wine, the juice that represents the blood that atoned for you as he became our blood offering and covered you from head to toe, washing you as white as snow, giving you an opportunity at a new start, a fresh start today. Maybe you've forgotten how important that was and how deliberate our God was in loving you and pursuing you. And today you say, God, help me fall in love with you all over again at your table. Today, Today is the day of salvation. Today is the day of response. And in a moment, the band's going to come back and they're going to lead us. But that leading is going to be a prayer. There's going to be movement all over this room because the church should find itself at the foot of the cross today. Because listen, church, let me explain something. You never outgrow the cross. I don't care how long you've known Jesus. You have never outgrown the cross. 
We should all find ourselves kneeling at the foot of the cross. If that takes this entire altar, so be it. If it takes your seat, so be it. If you find yourself coming alongside someone else that you've had burden with, come alongside, pray over them, let that get right today at the cross because the cross is the place where all wrongs were righted. If you're a leader, a life group leader, staff member, elder, stand up. I just want you to stand up for a second. Go ahead, stand up. If you're here today and you say, I'm coming to the cross because I need new life. I'm coming to the cross again because I need to fall in love with him all over again. Look at these people. Mentally make note, this is who I'm going to. Tell them, let them pray for you. Join them as you stand. Everyone go ahead and stand. Father, we love you and we thank you. And in a moment, you're going to find us moving in response to you and your word. God, we thank you that you were our high priest interceding as only you could, shedding your pure blood and taking all our transgressions upon yourself that we might be freed. Your church needs to be reminded of the greatest disruption that existed on the planet, and that was the cross and your resurrection. We thank you today that the tomb is empty, but we also thank you that you first fought at the cross for us to defeat sin and its sting in our lives for all time. Today, no matter what that decision be, may we be a people obedient and responsive to, to say yes, even when we don't know what yes might mean. God, I pray for new life in this room. I pray for the next step of intimacy in this room with you. And I pray that you'd find a people not clenching their seat, but willing to step out, even if it's scary, without reputation, without fighting for reputation. God, may we come to you unhinged, allowing you to disrupt us this morning and have your way. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.